If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. What's happening, friends? Welcome to Podcast Unlocked. It is IGN's weekly Xbox show. This is episode 632. Today is February 15th, 2024. Xbox uh, delivering a Valentine to fans of other consoles. So we'll talk more about that uh, on this week's podcast. But first, I got to introduce the crew. Destin Legary, as always, joining me. Hello, my friend. Bam. Hey, everybody. It is a good day. Look at that. Was that, are you psyched for X-Men 97, the new trailer the, for the, for the old school show hitting Disney plus? Is that what this was? Uh, it was Xbox, but I am also excited for the X-Men 97 <laughs> show. Yes. Yeah, uh, very much. Yes, so. indeed. A du- dual purpose Xing by, by Destin <laughs> to start the podcast today and joining us from the dice convention in Las Vegas. Uh, taking some time away, hobnobbing, hobnobbing with game developers is IGN's news director. Kat Bailey. Kat, welcome back to Podcast Unlocked. Hey, everybody. Parachuting in Vegas style so that we can talk about this action-packed Xbox business update. Yeah, it was about 25 or so minutes long, hosted by former IGN editor-in-chief Tina Amini, which is a little, it's still a little strange when I went into like, no, yeah, she's on that side of the fence now. And now she's hosting emergency official Xbox podcasts to uh, to try and Put out the fires that that raged uh, in in the Xbox Twitter sphere, if you will, over the past week. Let's just start there. Uh, Kat, can you give us the, the quick summary on what this is and what this isn't? Yeah, everybody. So we were all waiting to see would Xbox basically be going third party, and what we learned was that four games that are currently unnamed but are expected to be Hi-Fi Rush. Pentiment, Sea of Thieves, and Grounded will all be coming to other platforms at some point. Uh, Phil Spencer declined to name the games, but he said they would be two smaller games and two community-focused games. So that was like the big high-level uh, aspect of this, um, which, you know, there have been rumors forever. It's like, would Hi-Fi Rush be coming to Nintendo Switch? 
would Starfield be going to PS5? Well, Phil Spencer said, Starfield in indie right now, not going to other consoles. They will remain exclusives. However, he did not rule that out in the future. And The Verge reported that other games may indeed be going to other platforms at a certain point, including games like Doom. But uh, that was the big one. And then also, Phil Spencer, they talked about uh, new hardware, including uh, teasing a next-gen Xbox, saying that it's going to be the biggest technical leap that any hardware generation has ever seen. Bold claim. Also teased hardware news for this fall. And finally, Diablo 4 is coming to Xbox Game Pass as the first in the wave of Activision Blizzard games on Game Pass. So three major news beats, I would say. Um, Maybe not what people were quite expecting, but plenty to discuss, I think. Well, let's just start with you, Kat. I mean, you're you're sort of our our uh, oracle, you know, if we're if we're <laughs> using superhero terminology here, just the all-seeing eye with with everything going on in the world of news. You're you know you're not a particularly you don't really have a, a horse in this particular console race. You're on NBC and and Nintendo. People love everything, and everybody loves Nintendo. It's through the the Switzerland of the of the console <laughs> war, if you will. Uh, so Switch again. Not specifically fully confirmed by Microsoft, but it looks like Switch is almost certainly getting at least Hi-Fi Rush, probably also Pentiment, I would imagine. Um, Just, you know, is this really anything to fret over for anyone? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So talking about Hi-Fi Rush on Nintendo Switch, there have been obviously lots of rumors and lots of hints. There was even that DLC for Hi-Fi Rush that seemed to indicate that there was a shirt that seemed to indicate that it was coming to Switch. But who knows? It may not be coming to Switch. It may be a PlayStation only because I I don't know if y'all have heard, but the Nintendo Switch hardware is not that. It's a little old at this point. And Hi-Fi Rush is very dependent on its frame rate and the smoothness of its gameplay. And there are real questions about whether or not Hi-Fi Rush uh, could actually be doable on the Switch. Maybe the Switch too. We'll see. But there are questions um, around that. As for fretting, hmm, that's a big question because I think Xbox has been very clear for a long time now about its intentions to be on as many platforms as possible. There was an Xbox town hall just recently with Sarah Bond in which she talked about how every screen would be an Xbox and they were showing Power World on tablets and screen TV screens and handheld devices. And that really speaks to Xbox's mindset going forward because y'all games are changing. The ideas of exclusives as we know them may be going away in the future, at least changing a great deal. And I think everybody has to reckon with this potential reality, not just Nintendo, not just Xbox, but PlayStation as well. Destin, your immediate thoughts here. You've certainly uh, been vocal about all this stuff. And and I'm curious, you know, if you're, are you talked off a ledge today? Are you still, you know, where, where are you I was never worried about any of it. <laughs> because like, I just, I game where the games are and like, they've still been on Xbox for a year. I think there were a lot of overreactions online. And to further make Kat's point about how game, gaming is changing 
Hiroki Totoki over at uh, Sony PlayStation talked about how they are going to be more aggressive with their PC strategy. And we know they've been building up their mobile strategy for a long time. So PlayStation is openly talking about narrowing that gap between PC release and console release. And they just had a major success in this space with Helldivers 2, a game that I am absolutely loving. I'm playing on PC. I play with people on PlayStation. You know, when the, the online networking is working, they're still having some challenges there. But it, it's it's hovering around 200,000 concurrence on Steam right now, knocking down games like Counter-Strike. It is a massive success for, for the PlayStation brand. And if we go back even further, we can look at a game like, Ryan, one of your favorites, MLB The Show, yeah. which comes out on everything. PlayStation, Xbox, everything. <laughs> so... Another example of a big success for the PlayStation brand, right? Xbox is sort of doing the same thing. They said, you know, we hit all the growth potential we're going to hit with Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment. They didn't say it by name, but that's what they're talking about. They also alluded to Sea of Thieves and Grounded, and they're looking to expand that audience. Now, let's, I think all of those games could work on the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, and that expands their potential sell-through to... 130 million units, 130 million more potential yeah. players, in addition to, you know, the players they have on PC. Now they're expanding to more. So like Xbox fans, you've had these, you've had two of these games for a very long time and two of the games are exclusive, but like they're not growing. There's not a ton of harm in Pentiment and Hi-Fi Rush coming to alternate platforms and they even specified that games will still be day and date on Game Pass. So there's still a value proposition there that people that are console gamers are important. But Xbox has been very transparent about releasing in as many places as they possibly can to maximize their revenue gains. So sorry, I've had a lot bottled up in terms of <laughs> thoughts about this. But it's it's just like they've been saying this since the epic versus Apple case in the email between Tim Sweeney and Phil Spencer came out and Phil basically said he was at the time he was talking about xCloud and getting that on competing consoles. And then it was Game Pass coming to the Nintendo Switch. That was the big rumor and everybody was having a hubbub about it. And now it's like some games that have reached market saturation on the platforms that they're on are now coming to PlayStation at a year or more after. So um, great. PlayStation is going to give Xbox money to continue new development of new IP. That's great. So, Destin, let me let me have you uh, try to try to think like one of the more vocal folks in the community because a, a common Tim dog got it. Uh, a common thing I've seen this week. I thought he retired. He's not an Xbox fan anymore. He's a right? Nintendo I... fan now. Did you see? <laughs> what, whatever. Do do what makes you happy. Um, but. But, you know, the, a common refrain I, I hear, not common, but I've seen it pop up is, oh, well, what's PlayStation going to give us? And I don't know if there's a good answer to that because that's just not how business works, right? Like Sony, I think, you know, to, to circle back to what you both touched on about Phil saying that he expects exclusives to be a smaller and smaller uh, minority of games released in the industry in the coming mm -hmm. years, you know, maybe we're kind of depending on how you parse his words, which he's a high powered executive at a massive company and every word out of his mouth is 
very deliberately and carefully chosen. I, I have to wonder if if that could even apply to to PlayStation now, in the sense that just a few years ago, PlayStation exclusives, particularly first party, would never see the light of day on anything else, including PC. But now, look at the most recent state of play we just had. A lot of those games, including Helldivers 2, are not just on PC, but they are day and date on PC. They're not coming to Xbox or Nintendo, at least for the time being, certainly. But but you know maybe that's what kind of Phil's alluding to, that, that these platform walls are going to continue to break down a bit over time. Now, is if Sony wants to hold firm to their their uh, walled garden strategy a little a little longer, I think maybe they're with their massive installed base compared to Xbox. Maybe they're better positioned to hold out longer. But I'll ask you both, starting with Cat, do you think that it's Sony may you know if Microsoft is right about where the industry is going, that Sony may eventually follow suit on some level as well. Yeah, who can say? I could say I could say this. I can say that looking at the way that the segmentation data and things shake out, uh, people under 25 don't really care about where they're playing their games as long as they're playing their games. Convenience is a big one. Mobile is on the rise. And more and more, I think that you may still see traditional consoles but they may be more and more just just another device, yeah. so to speak. And I think that's where X's minds, Xbox's mindset is right now. I do think that this uh, this presentation, this podcast, I think was sort of designed to intentionally take the temperature down a little bit to no slow doubt. roll things a bit more, get people kind of more used to what their strategy is going to be going forward. I saw a lot of people on Reddit, for example, saying this was a big nothing burger. And I guess we were just blowing everything out of proportion. And I do think that this was intentionally designed to sort of be like that, to be vague, to put like some ideas out there, but to not be the giant shock to the system that people have been talking about for close to a month now. Justin, your thoughts? So you asked me to take the perspective of, of somebody that's really invested in the Xbox yeah. ecosystem, especially from the console perspective. So the main concern that I heard before this event or this podcast was that Xbox was going to go third party and there's no indication that that's going to happen. So I think if I'm one of those people that have invested a lot of money into the Xbox ecosystem, I'm much less worried after this. They talked about retaining your licenses to the digital games that you purchase for as long as they can possibly do it. Basically, there's no indication that that's going to go away. Backwards compatibility has always been very important to the Xbox brand. Hardware was brought up, so there is going to be hardware in the future. There's no indication that the console is going to go away. But Xbox also was very clear. They're like, look, we don't know what the future holds. We're on Samsung televisions, we're on tablets, we're on phones, we're on the Xbox console, including the Xbox Series X and S, and we launch on PC. And yes, after a while, some of our games that have reached saturation on our platform are going to come to other avenues. Now, the, the reason that's concerning to some of these people that have this investment is because they feel like this will alleviate pressure on Sony 
in terms of, you know, having a competitor in the market that really pushes them to improve their experiences for consumers. Sony has their own problems. Sony has no first party games slated until March 2025, and we still don't even know what's coming. Their console sales have sort of flatlined. I doubt that the PlayStation 5 is going to outsell the PlayStation 2. And if you've been paying attention to the console sales, the PlayStation 2 capped out at like, I believe it was 155 million units off the top of my head. So nothing has touched that. The console market is a market that maybe grows 1%. Mobile is the growth market. Other screens are the growth market. And the cat's point, young people don't care where they play. They just want great games. One thing I thought was telling, uh, and it you know it remains to be seen how it plays out in reality. But something that Phil said that I thought was was interesting was that he talked about well, and I'm I'm obviously paraphrasing here. He said we can we can put some of these older games that have effectively run out of steam on our platforms onto other platforms, or in this age of rising development costs and and it's tougher than ever to make a profit and, and have a success with a game, or we can we can monetize, we can keep it in our ecosystem and just monetize it harder and basically charge you more for microtransactions and things. So uh, not that it's a zero-sum proposition, Destin, but it does seem like if you're offering me the choice between charging me more and being more aggressive about microtransactions in general on some of these Xbox exclusives versus not doing that and sending them off to to make money on PlayStation and or Nintendo platforms later, well, that the latter sounds uh, pretty preferable to me. I agree. And Diablo 4 just added a $65 horse. So <laughs> to me, that was really confusing because right now that game's not like doing gangbuster numbers. It's sort of like softened in terms of its player base and overall interest. There's a lot of criticism levied at Diablo 4. And I'm like, why would they release a $65 horse now? The Game Pass news today kind of makes sense in that respect because they're going to have 30, what was the number? 34 million new players playing the game up to 34 million, Game obviously, um, for free free via Game Pass, and now they have the microtransaction store that more people are going to be checking out. So the horse makes a little bit more sense, but I absolutely agree with you. I don't like microtransactions. I especially don't like $65 horse microtransactions. $65 digital items is ludicrous. That's absolutely. too much money. But I think as we've seen, the economics of game development, they don't really work right now. Exclusives cost $300 million to make. Game Pass maybe has not been everything that Xbox would hope, maybe by right now. I think, like I said, everybody is trying to figure out what works. And maybe, unfortunately, Diablo 4's answer is, I, I don't know, just charge the whales as much as they're willing to pay for the stupid horse armor. <laughs> I remember uh, the first much more famous horse armor on Xbox being, I want to say, might have been five bucks back yeah, in five uh, bucks. Everybody lost their mind. Not, yeah. <laughs> you can also buy different portal colors. And what a lot of people have been discussing is that it's just a portal color swap. If you look at how Path of Exile, for example, changed their portal options, they're really freaking cool. 
they have all sorts of customization. Like you can have a demon spawn and all this stuff. And Diablo just feels like they're monetizing in a very strange manner. And it's also negatively impacting the the core gameplay loop for a lot of people that get to the end game. So like th there's a lot of problems with that game that I, I hope get addressed because I really enjoyed my time with Diablo four, but like ever since season one, it's been hard to um, look back fondly at, as they make these adjustments to the, the overall world that seem more about uh, monetization versus quality of life. So uh, let me, let me pivot a little bit to the, uh, well, actually, no, I want to come back. There's one other part when Destin, you touched on it, when Phil was talking about compatibility and, and trying to stay committed to making sure games are going to work across generations. We do need to call out the complete and total lack of any acknowledgement, let alone commitment to physical media and physical games. Um, I mean, is, it's dead. There let's, was a tiny just, shout out. Yeah. There was one tiny shout out. He said retail and Game Pass. So okay. that seemed to say, yeah, we're still committed to physical, but it was not, it was very soft, very, very soft. Although retail to, to, to be, <laughs> to speak physical like an media executive. Is dead. Yeah. Where like, are where we going to pretend it's not? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a happy reality, but right. it's the reality that we're living in. And we, we are keep heading pretending. towards that. Yeah. Well, no, like it's like 10% of their sales. It's the physical the media is dead yeah. on Xbox. People don't buy physical media on Xbox. They might buy in physical media on the Switch, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's still a yeah. pretty small segment. When, when you have Best Buy just eliminating physical media and you have all these department stores where they would make the bulk of their sales just saying, no, nah, we're done. Like, come on, the writing's on the wall. That's not your growth market. And I know there's a big vocal base for physical media. I get it. It's about ownership of your properties. That's really important, but it's unfortunate that it's just not going to be supported in the near future. Well, you're, I, you're right. You know, I, I don't, I don't say, I don't agree with you with any joy, but I, I do agree with you. I wonder if, and this is a separate topic. Our work here is done. Time, but, <laughs> but you know, if, if, uh, cause I, I think it's, it is about ownership, but it's also equally as much about game preservation, I think is, is a big, big part of it as well. And I wonder if here's the, my copy of Metal Gear four as an example, go. the thing that's a real bummer is that these games come out on discs and often you still have to download something or there's an online component. So the game barely works. Yeah. They're not actually on the disc, <laughs> like especially in Xbox's case, Forza isn't on the disc. Forza Horizon 5 wasn't on the disc. It's just a disc that makes you download games. Right. So at least I, I got to give PlayStation props on that, though, because the game is on the disc. There is something on there for a lot of their properties that you can play. And I, I wish Xbox had stuck with that. But, you know, the sales just aren't aren't there. Yeah, I wonder if if. There will, if it'll kind of move to the almost like vinyl with music, where it becomes kind of this niche thing. And I don't use niche in any sort of negative or derogatory way, but like the the IM8 bits, the the limited run games of the world will will come in and work with developers and publishers on specific cases of like, okay, let's do a physical for this, which they, you know they've been doing. Those companies have been doing that stuff for a while, but I wonder if that's if like whatever remains of the physical media games business is going to kind of go all go to the companies like that, who, who have that dedication and, and passion for, for doing physical, physical versions of games. Uh, the next piece, 
here, let, let's uh, go back to what I think Kat had touched on it, is the hardware piece of it. So Sarah Bond, who uh, has the hardware team reporting to her, among other groups at Xbox, said, there's some exciting stuff coming out in hardware that we're going to share this holiday. And we're also invested in the next generation roadmap. And what we're really focused on there is delivering the largest technical leap you will have ever seen in a hardware generation, which makes it better for players and better for creators and the visions that they're building. So before I throw to you guys, I'll say that again, if I'm if I'm meticulously dissecting the carefully chosen words of an of a gaming executives executive, pardon me, that biggest leap could mean. It could mean anything, any way they can get that to be true. And I'm not saying that's not going to be good regardless, but I'm trying to think of what like that could mean. So it could mean the largest teraflop jump. Because we went from, what, six teraflops on the Xbox One X to 12 on the, the Series X. So perhaps the, the next jump from Series X to next gen could go from 12 to 19. And then they can say, that's the biggest technological leap ever. Um, I don't know if Destin did anything. That was the first thing that came to mind for me. When, when she said that, what, what are the gears in your head when they started turning? What did you think? So I think in terms of technology, we've sort of reached this point where games are already looking absolutely phenomenal and the technology to make games has gotten smarter at doing it with less power iPhone can now run Death Stranding, which was a PlayStation 4 game that can now run on your phone. We are at a point where the technology is getting so good that more power doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It's more about what is the engine doing to make those games look as good as they possibly can with the least amount of power being utilized. And sure, the next power, the next Xbox could be the biggest technological leap ever. And there's been discussions about them partnering with Intel this time instead of AMD and, and all of these rumors swirling about what that means. But at the end of the day, it's about the technology behind the games and how it's utilized by the developers. So N Nintendo Switch just released a game of the year in, uh, I don't want to get, it's not Breath of the Wild, it's Tears of the Kingdom, sorry. Tears of the Kingdom that runs on a very low powered device, but it's phenomenal because the gameplay is so good. Right. So power wise, I'm just like, show me games with good gameplay. That's what's going to move your units, well, not power. 60 frames across everything would be nice. We were, I wouldn't say we were promised that this generation, but we were pretty heavily, we, we were allowed to let, to be, to believe that that was going to be the case. And it hasn't, hasn't quite panned out that way so far, but so I hear you though. I, I certainly hear your larger point. Kat, your thoughts on, on, uh, parsing that technical leap uh, comment from Sarah. I agree with everything that Dustin just said. Um, I think that, I mean, this is kind of her hyperbole that we've heard before, right? Every new console is going to be a giant leap. But the reality is that the games we're playing in the year 2024, realistically, aren't that different from what they were 10 years ago, which in many respects blows my mind. Think about how different a game in 2014 was to, to a game in 2004, 2004 to 1994. The pace of change has slowed. Now, there's an infatuation, I think, around 
power levels. It does sell a console. People want all of the ray tracing. They want all of the various gimmicks that surround lighting and everything. They do have material benefits. And being able to play all of that in 120 FPS at 8K sounds pretty cool. But also, as Destin was saying, the game of the year for last year was Tears of the Kingdom, and that came out on Nintendo Switch. Game uh, Games like Roblox and Fortnite are the biggest games in the world. And Minecraft and Xbox joint, biggest games in the world. It's more about being able to have your game run on every single platform than raw power. And as we are already discussing, the economics of top-tier AAA development just increasingly don't work because a game like Spider-Man can cost $300 million and be a slam-dunk success and ultimately make just a bit of money. You're putting a huge, huge investment into these games, years of development to make them. And at the end of the day, it could be a giant, giant, giant risk. So yeah, a touting power is a good you know, talking point. But for quite a while now, video games have been trending in a different direction. This week's Podcast Unlocked is brought to you by NordVPN. Hey, if you're watching a lot of sports like me and you hate blackouts, NordVPN is a great way to go. You can use NordVPN, a virtual private network, to watch live sporting events, TV shows, films that aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country that is showing that event. No more blackouts. It's also good for plenty of other stuff like protecting your private data, your bank details, your passwords, your online identity. You can protect your data while you're traveling and using public Wi-Fi. NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. NordVPN threat protection also protects you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering or lagging while you're streaming, and it will stop your ISP bandwidth throttling. NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, so that is a super affordable, great way to go. To get the best discount off of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash Unlocked without the E. That's N O R D V P N dot com slash U N L O C K D. And that'll give you four extra months on the two year plan. And best of all, there's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash unlocked without the E. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
Every, and, and everybody's looking at that because right now they're like, is this monetary investment worth it? Did we see the ROI from this monetary investment? And the answer more often than not is no. Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Man Miles Morales like was a fantastic game that everybody adored and saw a lot of praise and it sold extremely well. So did Spider-Man 2 need all those technical advancements? Maybe some of them, but you probably could have cut down on the cost a little bit and still saw very high profit margins. And I think companies are kind of waking up to this. It's just like, yeah, you know, uh, Tears of the Kingdom did really, really well. Maybe we don't need to reinvent the wheel every time we release one of these games. Uh, yeah. And consoles I, can't keep we'll up with the pace that PCs are going. I think that realistically, I mean, what an Xbox is kind of a almost a budget solution, a budget PC solution where you get one and you know that it's going to have its sell by date by, at a certain point. Same with PS5, whereas it's almost a better call just to get a, a super high power GPU and just roll well, with that. Those are a thousand dollars. Power game. If you're a power gamer, though, that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. and well, I, yeah. I did. I didn't want to bring it up. Sorry, Ryan. Um, oh, go ahead. But like a lot of people thought we've been really hard on Suicide Squad. But one of the more interesting comparisons about that one is what Rocksteady was able to do with Arkham Knight versus what they were able to do with Suicide Squad on a technical level. Yeah. Right. So Suicide Squad is designed to be a games as a service and they want an open world with activities in the open world. And multiplayer. And, uh, Ar yeah, multiplayer. Arkham Knight had a lot of those uh, aspects. But when you return to Arkham Knight, Arkham Knight looks visually better. It was a more restricted game in a lot of ways, but a better game because for some reason, the developer having less overhead allowed them to create something more, I don't know how to, how to describe it properly, but a, a more compact experience that was better overall. And, and I think some people are starting to wake up to that idea. Yeah, I... Kat, your, your comment, I'd never thought about it that way when you said, when you talked about the leap from 2014 to 2024, and then just going back additional 10 years, that, that made me want to just like walk off my roof and just like, like that is depressing. That's a, that's, that's a little depressing as a, as somebody that's been playing video games for 30 something years now of like, yeah, it, we really, we really aren't seeing, and I'm sure part of that's technological, part of that's budgetary part of that's risk aversion there's a lot there's a lot that goes into that but boy that's uh that's gonna stick with me for a while <laughs> that's and, astute very astute point for sure go ahead destin and isn't it interesting that remakes of games like dead space and resident evil 4 are being received so well there was really a sweet spot around that time period about how games were made not every game needs to be Assassin's Creed Valhalla that we spend a hundred hours in. And the, the, the design philosophies that are being implemented by business people are get these people in our games as long as possible because they are more likely to convert to store purchases. And that's an upsell tactic, right? And then, and then there's another point is this whole generation has felt like the Xbox One PS4 generation 1.5. Agreed. It has not felt like a huge improvement the best games of this generation, like Elden Ring, are multi-generational games. And their biggest thing is that they can play at extremely high frame rates. And I think 
it's felt like the past generation has been going on for 13 years now at this point or something like 10 years at this point. It's crazy. I did a, a an informal poll on my Twitter account to that effect is that, you know, this we could do a whole separate podcast about this and we probably should at some point about, you know, has has this generation actually been. I won't say good because it's been good, but has it lived up to the investment that we've made in it? And yes, there was COVID and game delays and chip shortages. And a lot of people have only just got their hands on consoles in the last year or so. But uh, I I think you're spot on, Kat. I I could not agree more. And this little poll I put up, I said, what in your opinion has been the game of the generation thus far? Because the the conversation that was going on on Twitter that I was part of was, was specifically about first party, right? And like, you know, Sony, they've delivered good stuff, but they haven't really knocked it out of the park like they did sequels in the PX and remakes in the PS4. Yeah, exactly. And Xbox, there's been good stuff. Forza Horizon 5, our 2021 game of the year at IGN, phenomenal. Halo Infinite was awesome, but just not quite like legendary, like, holy crap, I have to get the, the new Xbox for this. Uh, you know, there's been good stuff, but they're, you know, Starfield didn't quite deliver that knockout punch that we all wanted it to. And, and you could keep going. And so really neither one of them, Sony or Microsoft has really, has really said, here's the reason you need our new console. And so this little poll, you know, you can only put up, you can only make four choices on Twitter poll. And so I, I went with, uh, what in your opinion has been the game of the generation so far? meaning from November 2020 onwards. Baldur's Gate 3, Elden Ring, RE4 Remake, or Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. And uh, pretty resoundingly, Elden Ring won, except I was reminded, and you just mentioned it, Kat, by by a kind Twitter follower, that it, it actually shouldn't have been on that poll because it was on Xbox One and PS4. So the game that won that poll quite handily was really not eligible for that, for a next generation only poll. So yeah, I, I agree with you that it's really has, it just never has felt like this. It's not felt like this generation has arrived yet. And there are so many like macroeconomic reasons for that. Um, and because game? of the nature of games are changing, how yeah. people play games are changing. The hardware they're playing on is changing. Games are changing. Gameplay is king and people are starting to remember that. It's nice. Yeah. Um, fortunately, Destin, I, I would say that the single player uh, not microtransactions to death game is still alive and well. I mean, I mean Elden, yeah. Elden Ring is that, right? It's a big game and it's not laced with a bunch of garbage, uh, financially speaking. And Jedi Survivor, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, uh, same thing. I don't think there's a single microtransaction. I think when you pay your money for that game, that's all the money that you can even spend. Well, there might be microtransactions or whatever. It's when, like, there's not a lot of incentive to sign on to a game and grind because everything's oh, in yeah. the store. Like that's yeah. that becomes problematic. Like what cool armor set are you grinding for in some of these games that you actually earn? Not a yeah. lot, right? So when you see somebody wearing a cool armor, it's like, oh, how much was that? $65? <laughs> well, you get into... Yeah. Yeah, the grinding, that's whole maybe separate conversation I've said on this podcast. Well, how, how, and, how do you feel about that? Would you rather pay $20 for a cool skin or would you rather earn it? I would. I don't care enough about a skin to grind for it and waste my time because 
I'm busy and I have a family and I have things outside of work and video games that I enjoy doing. And I'm not, I don't care enough to pay money for it. It's just, and I know that makes me an old man, right? I, I get it. But I'm, I'm, I'm the dinosaur here. And Ryan, uh, you like sports games. Sports games have just been in a terrible place since at least 2010 or so when yeah. Ultimate Team in cards-based uh-huh. microtransaction and pack ripping became a thing. And games like now EA Sports FC makes EA uh, an amazing, ridiculous, horrendous amount of money for reasons that like, but people hate them. <laughs> They're so yeah, mad yeah. all the time. <laughs> They're not voting with their wallets now. on that, or at least not enough of them. Are, I know but... it's crazy. Like yeah. these games have 0.1 reviews on Metacritic. Go look <laughs> at the audience scores. They're like 1.5 or something like that. And yet, and yet. On the plus side, uh, before we kind of gonna wrangle us back on topic a little bit, but we'll just I'll just mention since we're we're not gonna have time to get to it on this episode, we did get the official announcement that EA Sports College Football coming back they'll be fully revealing the game in may so that's some welcome news in the sports game world at least uh so we'll see what I hope that it's good all. yeah yeah i mean it's that that one had always been kind of quietly the better of the two between college football and madden they tended to try out m- new ideas more in college football and then way better work, single player in that yeah. one yeah yeah so we'll see we'll see more on that here in a, in a few months but um i, I want to circle back the hardware piece the quote from Sarah Bond, uh, the part one of that quote where she says, there's some exciting stuff coming out in hardware that we're going to share this holiday. And then from the way she phrased it, that that sounds very separate from the next gen stuff. So Destin, is this a mid-gen refresh? Is it simply the, the not the refresh that's the same horsepower, the, the, uh, the Brooklyn console that's going to, get rid of the disk drive and kill physical on Xbox devices forever. What, what do you think she's talking about there? Well, if it's not the next gen console tease, then they're probably talking about the controller. I'm guessing the, the mm, evolution cool. of the Xbox controller. I, was it the Sibyl? Was that the code name uh, for it? That, unless that was the code name for well, anyway, the, the fans, but we know which, yes, the, the new yeah, controller yeah. with the haptic feedback, yeah, the among, PlayStation among five Xbox controller <laughs> the xbox controller that does some new stuff uh I, I i think that could be potentially what we're going to hear about and then i imagine they've just confirmed that next gen hardware is coming out and we know it's coming out from the ftc leak so i don't know why they wouldn't um start talking about that this holiday very happy to see a heavy use of b-roll that i shot many years ago by the way on this episode so thank you so much to our producer it's tile this time Good uh cat your thoughts here on on what the this holiday tease might suggest yeah it's gonna be the brooklyn it's gonna be the digital xbox that is going to have some improvements here and there in terms of power usage better wi-fi new design slimmer design it was an interesting design actually um we could also be hearing relatively soon about a dedicated handheld, um, something along the lines of a, a Steam Deck or Roge Ally, but more Game Pass focused. <clears throat> the, these rumors have been circulating for quite a while now, and they've picked up a lot of uh, heat in the run-up to this Xbox business update. We did not hear anything about them, but I would absolutely not be shocked if we end up getting an announcement 
a little bit later in the year, but one way or another, we are getting some sort of new SKU or hardware release. It's not going to be next gen. Uh, maybe slowly roll on that one. But yeah. The, uh, yeah, the cat, uh, I, I, I so want these handheld, the, the X boy, if you will, that was always the name we threw at it years and years ago when, when chatter first started, uh, I so want those to be to be accurate because it it would be great. Like the Microsoft has not for either by choice or what have you, they they have not turned my Steam Deck into a Game Pass machine, which I've been wanting them to do since the jump. Although you know, I I bought it knowing that that wasn't a thing and might not be a thing. And I have to admit, I haven't used my Steam Deck all that much. I think I would swap it out if Microsoft did uh, a proper handheld of their own that did natively support Game Pass. But would you think it would be fairly similar to the PlayStation Portal maybe and that it would effectively no. just be a no. Please, Not a please go on. That was a huge mistake on PlayStation's part. There is no way Xbox is going to be like, yeah, let's make the same thing that's tethered to your house. You know, they're, they're, they're well enough versed with the Steam Deck. Phil plays on the road all the time. I think he's he's more of an ROG Ally fan. Like, there is no way that they're going to make it tethered to your house in some respect. I, I think they go full full mobile. Maybe you need to authenticate your games the first time because everybody has to do that now because of a law, I think. I don't know actually why that's a thing, but um, it's annoying. Uh, I, I hope that they do get into the console market. I hope that they get Game Pass on the um, the uh, Steam Deck organically. And I would love to see that. Yeah, I, they said that Game Pass is going to stay on Xbox platforms, which would seem to rule out it ever coming out on Steam Deck, yeah. which is too bad, honestly, because that would just make the Steam Deck the bee's knees, in my opinion. But I do Actually, play my yeah. Steam Deck a lot. I got a Steam Deck OLED. I really love it. And I've been playing a lot of uh, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth recently. Um, and it runs fantastically on the Steam Deck. I think whether or not I went over to a Game Pass machine would depend a lot on what are the hardware, what's the hardware like, what's the battery usage like, what's the screen like, what's the price point like. Mm -hmm. Because I've already got my Steam Deck and it's hard to invest in yet another platform, especially when so many... Game Pass games are just already available on Steam as it is. As, no, you can't do the um, the subscription. And, you know, if you're willing to do a little work, you can get Game Pass on your Steam Deck. Um, That's but, true. Yeah. yeah More I, my B-roll, by the way. Thanks, Tyle. <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't Seth, obviously. But I yeah. saw a good uh, a good suggestion on Twitter when, when uh, I was responding to somebody's tweet about a potential Xbox handheld, and somebody said, yeah, it should have... It should have a, a port on it to plug in your Xbox memory expansion. You know the the memory card. Like yes, that is a great idea because then you know, I've already I've got hundreds of gigabytes of games already on that card. If I could take it out and just plug it straight into an Xbox handheld uh, to save me from having to download all that stuff again as I'm you know quickly getting up to to take the portable take the handheld out somewhere. That would be. That would be an awesome addition. So I hope you could buy the the dongle, the proprietary dongle that's only forty nine ninety nine to port your game. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you Fine. start with that. Don't you start with that. Um, all right. So I guess the last thing we got we got a few minutes left. Next gen. Um, is it going to be so? But 
I want to factor in both what we just heard from Microsoft, the fact that they're already acknowledging a next generation of consoles, and Sony uh, this past week saying, yeah, well, the, the PlayStation 5 is in its in the latter half of its life cycle, and it's been out for just over three years. So, you know, Kat, do you think that uh, we might see new consoles from both of them? Not not sooner rather than later in the sense of like next year, but but is this going to be six year generation, seven year? I mean, I, I I had thought, given how messy this generation has been, which we've we've addressed here, you know, the COVID and the supply chain stuff, and I I would thought. I would have thought that this generation would, would probably go eight years, but do you think that's going to be the case, or do you think we're looking at six or seven here? Didn't the court documents say that Xbox was targeting 2028? It did, but we also console? know that stuff's old. And yeah. so that's that's what I'm like. Kind fast of track to both a new console? Yeah. I thought it was 2026. 2026. Might be right. It was. I thought it was 28 in the in the FTC. Maybe documents. I'm mixing it up with uh, the Elder Scrolls release date. <laughs> Which would put that at a full decade since it since its release, might I might add. But there was there was a rumor that they were going to go in 2026 to get a jump on PlayStation this mm. gen. I don't know if that mm. I can't remember where I heard that, but um, the FTC documentation was all over with their dates. Like, well, yeah. I, I apologize to Xbox fans. Please don't hate me. Um, in Nintendo circles where I tend to hang out, I saw some people comparing. This to the Wii U situation, which I don't think that the Xbox has been nearly as dire as the Wii U <laughs> no. has been, but nothing, nothing other than the Virtual Boy has been Wii no, U bad. No. Wii U's in, been really in, bad from any con- I mean, I guess maybe the maybe the Dreamcast, but even the Dreamcast is like fondly remembered. The Wii U, not so much. The reason I mentioned the Wii U is that there was a, like a three-year period, and then I would say around 2016, NX rumors began in earnest and they really, really persisted, especially as the software dried up. Now the Xbox is different in that the software pipeline is finally starting to open up. We're getting a bunch of games like Hellblade 2 and whatnot. So those are all things that we can look forward to. But uh, it makes me think about like the fact that we're already talking about next gen with Xbox makes me think about the run up to the Nintendo Switch. And Mm -hmm. if the comparison holds, Maybe it's a positive sign for, for Xbox since the Nintendo Switch did sell north of 100 million units. Destin, what's your take on that? About when the next gen yeah, hardware is going to come out? Yeah. I, I think I like the idea of Xbox getting a jump on the competition and coming first, but I do wonder if that's what is it called? The Brooklyn as opposed to the full next gen refresh and right. it is a little further out. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think the life cycles are going to get shorter. Phil Spencer a long time ago talked about consoles like upgrading your phone. And I realize that's a little bit of a dated comparison. But like I said earlier, the technology is getting so good that the hardware jump is important, but maybe less important than it once was. We're not talking about Nintendo 64 to PlayStation 2 anymore. We're talking about like, minuscule upgrades where such a small percentage of the market is interested in that, that a lot of people are looking and saying, how hard should we go on this hardware? Because people play on everything now. So this, uh, it turns out that for, for the, the raging fire within the community last week, 
Turns out there, there wasn't really much of a fire there, but what we did get confirmation of today is that Xbox is officially, as a first-party publisher, saying that we are going to dabble in multi-platform publishing, which is new, although not completely new. I point back to 2016, when uh, we had the Xbox exclusive Ori and the Blind Forest, that three years later, did come out on the Nintendo Switch. So we have been through this before. And guess what? The Xbox brand didn't, it survived. It did not burn to the ground. Xbox did not go out of business. So uh, we shall see if this stays as smaller, older games, or if if this is going to be a uh, a frog, if, if we're all frogs sitting in a, a slowly warming pot of water and eventually it's going to be the Indiana Joneses and the Starfields of the world, that remains to be seen. But for now, uh, we are getting four games. Again, Kat gave, you, gave them to you at the top. Hi-Fi Rush, Grounded, Sea of Thieves, and Pentiment are, uh, are the all but confirmed reported games that at some point will be making their way to other platforms. Before we get out of here, uh, let me give Kat and Devson both a chance to plug what they're working on for IGN. Uh, I'm actually going to selfishly start because I'm really proud of what our team has been working on. Our February IGN first game, these are our quote-unquote cover stories. Think of them like old school magazine, video game magazine cover stories. We have, uh, we started a little late in February and we're going to make this kind of cool two-week push leading up to March 1st which is, uh, the game is No Rest for the Wicked, speaking of Ori and the Blind Forest, from that developer, Moon Studios. You're looking right now at some of our exclusive boss battle gameplay footage. This is, a, as you'd expect from Moon Studios, an absolutely stunning game. Uh, it definitely seems to have some souls in it. It is not just a straight like Diablo-like action RPG, although there, there are certainly pieces of that too. So you can take a look at the full video uh, which I encourage you to watch, by the way, in 4K if you can on IGN.com or on YouTube.com slash IGN. Kat, would you like to promote anything that you're up to? Yeah, hey, uh, so next week is IGN FanFest, and we're working on a lot of stories. Uh, I just did a really big interview with Ikumi Nakamura. You might remember her from her work on Ghostwire Tokyo, and we had a great conversation, so you can look forward to that. On Monday, and then I also have my other podcast. It's focused around RPGs. It's called Acts of the Blood God, and we've been streaming on Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific uh, on Twitch, recapping the day, the the week's news, spe specifically with an RPG focus. We're really looking forward to games like Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, talking about Baldur's Gate three and things like that. So, go check us out wherever you find your podcasts. Fantastic, Destin, take us home. Yeah, if you ever want to hear my personal takes, they're over on youtube.com slash the Destin channel. But for IGN, I just did something that I, I really had a lot of fun working on. It was a montage of Helldivers 2 gameplay clips. Uh, I just really like the game, so I wanted to make this thing. And a bunch of community members were like, yeah, you can totally use these. I put together a montage to sort of showcase why I love the game so much and why it's resonating with so many people. So go check that out right now. And be sure to check out our DICE coverage because DICE is a really, really cool event. That uh, is, is a big celebration of the gaming industry, and I can't wait to see what Cat and company get out of the uh, event that is happening right now. Awesome. Thank you to Tayo, our super producer this week. Thank you to all of you for taking the time to watch and or listen. We shall return next week, but until then, happy gaming.
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.